Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackwood Show. Oh my goodness, we are in for a treat today. Let me tell you that. Oh my goodness, and the reason why I might sound like I'm in such a cheery mood is because of the fact that Stan Bowman, the GM, or now the former GM of the Chicago Blackhawks, has stepped down. Not only has he stepped down as the Blackhawks GM, he's also stepped down as Team USA's GM, which I did not know that was a thing until I got the update that he stepped down as the GM of Team USA. Now, the reasons for why he has stepped down are not as so cut and dry as one would suspect. The Blackhawks are under a huge scandal right now that I'm not going to get into because it goes really deep and I don't think we have enough time to go over all the nitty-gritty details about what's going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. But Stan Bowman, who should have been gone a long-ass time ago, is finally gone. You would think it's because of performance-related stuff or contract-related stuff or terrible trades-related stuff. No, it's, it's something completely different that's way worse than that, and he has rightfully stepped down. And one of my friends and I, Johnny, he texted me today about Stan Bowman stepping down as the GM of Chicago Blackhawks. And it's basically, all Blackhawks fans, I think, can agree on this. Just burn the whole thing down. <laughs> Just burn burn it down. Burn it down. Because it's not it's not a great look right now. The Blackhawks, not only are the, is the on-the-ice product sucking complete dick right now, but the front office is handling itself like an asshat. Like, it's ridiculous what's going on there. The main thing that I think most Blackhawks fans are, when you're regarding to on-the-ice stuff, are most frustrated about is the firing of, of Joel Quinville, which happened two years ago, but still the ramifications of that where the Panthers are supposed to be one of the better teams in the NHL this season, or at least in the Eastern Conference. The Blackhawks uh, were confusing, and they brought up Jeremy Colden, who came up from the Rockford Icehogs, younger than some of the players on the freaking team, and it seems like at least from a fan's perspective, then nothing's going on up there. <laughs> it doesn't look like anything's working. They made deals this offseason where it was just confusing as hell on whether or not they were actually competing for anything or not. Now, as watching the Blackhawks for the past few seasons and knowing how dead their defense has been, they went out and got some defensive pieces. Now, we've already talked about how much I'm not a huge fan of the Seth Jones contract. Not a fan of that. I think he's a good player. Nothing against the player. The contract is ridiculous. Now, they did go out and get Mantra Andre Fleury for a handshake, pretty much. The only good thing I think Stan, or one of the few good things Stan Bowman has done in his time as the GM of Chicago Blackhawks, but even Fleury, who didn't even want to be in Chicago, he contemplated retirement before he even said, oh yeah, we're, I'm going to play for Chicago now. He contemplated retirement. And the Blackhawks, the guy that is replacing Fleury on the Knights is the guy that they had <laughs> they did they had a younger goalie there traded him for Malcolm Subban and I, there was a there was like another thing in there but it wasn't anything spectacular they brought Eric Gustafson back which i hated that trade when it first happened Gustafson at the time i think he got traded to Carolina the, he was the best defender on the Blackhawks and that was the year covid happened so the Blackhawks by default made the playoffs and then they got matched up with the Oilers so by default they won their first round playoff game and then got Shit stopped by the Knights in the second round, if my memory serves me right. But they also went out and got Jake McCabe from the Buffalo Sabres. We know how great their defense has been over the past few years. But the Sabres are 
good at this point in time. We all know it's going to fail. My dad's a Sabres fan. I have a soft spot for the Buffalo Sabres being a Bills fan. They're not, it's, it's a patch. It's a patch of nice form, but we all know where this is going. There's a lot of terrible things going on in my two favorite teams programs right now. Blackhawks, more a little uh, sinister, I guess you could call it. The, the Sabres is just being run like a freaking circus. The whole Jack Eichel situation is ridiculous. They're priced out of a deal. They've put, put such a huge, hefty price tag on his head that no one's going to trade for him. And Jack Eichel is one of the best players in the NHL. Jack Eichel is awesome. They stripped the captaincy away from him. Unsurprisingly, I think he would have stripped that away from himself. I bet he went up to the GM, I think it's Kevin Adams, and said, hey, I'm no longer the captain of this garbage-ass team. <laughs> you traded away the best players we had. Sam Reinhart, Risto uh, and got traded. Like, you have no good Linus, I, Linus Almark. Jeez, Almark is gone, I believe. I don't remember where he's at. I think it's Boston. I could be mistaken about that. But this team stinks. Rasmus Dahlin's still there, so there's a bright spot there. But even he, with the black, with the... The Sabres' development, Ralph Kruger, who is not a fan favorite in Buffalo by any means, he's gone. They went through the longest losing streak, or one of the longest losing streaks in NHL history. They beat the Flyers. We had a whole family party for that one. We sat down in the basement. <laughs> we made my mom come downstairs and watch the Sabres put the Flyers to the sword as they were about to lose their 18th straight game or whatever it was. It was, it was long. It was It was long. Jeff Skinner got frozen out of the team numerous times by Ralph Kruger for really unknown reasons. He got paid a really weird contract as well, not very uh, friendly, very weird con, not not a very favorable contract. He had one good year in Buffalo. Everybody loved him. Sabers looked like oh they might be a dark horse playoff team, and then uh, no, it didn't happen. They brought in Taylor Hall. That didn't work out either. Like they were supposed to be good last year, and they were one of the worst teams in NHL history. And then now Owen Powers, the first overall pick, went back to Michigan. Will he stay with the Sabres organization? I don't know. Time will tell on that. But they do got some nice players or decent players. Dylan Cousins, Vinny Hittestros, a former Chicago Blackhawk, is a nice player. Jeff Skinner, on his day, is a nice player. Tage Thompson can be a nice player. We already talked about Rasmus Dahlin. Like, they've got some decent pieces, but we all know this is not going to last very long. I don't know what their record is exactly at this point in time, but I know they were 3-1, and one. At one point, we're going to have to check the standings. I think they might have lost the other. Oh, they're 4-1-1. Four and, four, one and one. They have nine points. They're second in the Atlantic Division right now. <laughs> uh, behind the aforementioned Fourler Panthers, who have won all six games of their season so far. The Blackhawks, on the other hand, are 0-5-1. And, and have one point. That loss came in a shootout. The one point they got came in a shootout. They lost to the New Jersey Devils. Dougie Hamilton scored at like, I don't know, 20 seconds into the game or something like that for the Devils. But th this is... Not supposed to happen, but Bowman's gone. So you gotta look at the positives, I guess. The situation in itself is terrible, and is not a great look for the Blackhawks organization at all. But Bowman's gone. There's on ice and off the ice stuff that should be happy about him being gone. Not just of what he's playing on the ice or putting on the ice, but what he knows about the situation, knows what do what he doesn't know, or what's willing to talk about the Blackhawks situation at this current point in time. But man, hockey. I'm surprised. I, mean, I was watching some hockey videos today. And over the past few days, I watched a lot of bar down videos have done for the past few years now. Love watching the quizzes they do on there. They have a podcast now, which has been really fun to watch. I didn't do any NHL predictions. And I think it's too late 
at this point in time to do NHL predictions because my predictions would be obviously very skewed at this point because my thoughts on the Blackhawks preseason are a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit different of what they are right now. This team stinks. They're, they're not very good. They've allowed 27 goals and scored 12. They have some nice players. I do like a lot of the players the Chicago Blackhawks have. Namely, obviously, I mean, Patrick Kane, the greatest American hockey player of all time. Kirby Dock, the third overall pick from a few years ago. Love Alex DeBrincat. Jonathan Taves is still there. Dominic Kubalik is still there. Dylan Strome on his day can be a really nice player. They got Tyler Johnson, who's on the DL right now, so he's not playing right now. Calvin DeHaan's a nice player. Connor Murphy, we're in the A this year. With Duncan Keith going over to Edmonton. We already talked about Seth Jones, Jake McCabe, Gustafson's back. Uh, they got Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously. Kevin Lankinen's a decent goalie when he's on his game. You saw flashes of it last year when they rotated Lankinen, Subban, and... Uh, I can't remember the other goalie it was. They rotated three goalies. I can't remember who the other one was to save my life. But they got some good... I, I, I like what they have to a certain extent. But my expectations before the season started was null and void. I had no idea what this team was going to do. <laughs> because they made signing like Flurry, like Seth Jones, like somewhat Tyler Johnson, where you're like, okay, this, all right, no, Tyler Johnson's on the D. What am I talking about? They have him at right wing. I, I was confused. I was looking at line orders. I didn't see him on there. I apologize for that. Kane's on the DL, though, <laughs> or the injured list. But it... It's been weird. It's, expectations have been very, very weird for the Blackhawks over the past few seasons. I've tried to say they're a playoff team recently. I didn't say they're a playoff team last year with the whole COVID divisions. The sponsored divisions, I don't remember what they were called exactly. I had them finishing, I think, second to last. Obviously, the, the Detroit Red Wings coming in last in the division. But what did I have them at? I'm going to look at the standings from last year. They came third to last. Columbus conveniently came last in the division, but the Blackhawks weren't far behind. It was joint last, so technically the Blackhawks were second to last in the division because the Red Wings and the Blue Jackets tied on 48 points in the season. But yeah, it's just... I keep coming back to this, but it's just a weird time to be a Chicago Blackhawks fan at this point in time. Because you had those great, and I mean great, five years where you won three cups. That was beautiful. Patrick Kane is my favorite player of all time. You got the greatest American hockey player of all time, undisputed at this point. I know you might bring up Mike Medano. Richter could be brought up there as well. Some of you people might bring up JR, but no, it's Patrick freaking Kane, okay? That's done and dusted. We've had this discussion on the Logan Blackman show before, but this is the first time, weirdly, I've talked about hockey this season. I mean, we talked about, I guess we talked about it a little bit last week, but nothing to the point of, Wow, we have dedicated almost or over five minutes to the Blackhawks or hockey right now. But as a whole, I guess we go over some of the standings right now. We already talked about the Panthers being undefeated. Carolina Hurricanes are also undefeated this season. They've won all five games they played this year. They were supposed to be one of the more fun teams this year. They usually are a really fun team anyways, but this year... They're good again, but the Metropolitan Division is always going to be tough. You got some very good teams. You got the Islanders, Panthers, or Panthers, Hurricanes, Capitals, Rangers, Penguins. You got some good teams in there. The Flyers can be good on their day. The Devils, will they be good? Who the hell knows? I think people have expected them to be good when they first got out Malcolm Subban, or not Mal Malcolm, PK Subban, the better, <laughs> the worst Subban brother out of the two. I remember I had them as a playoff team. I'm pretty sure they came last in their division that year. It was the year they drafted Hughes. That did not work out. That that did not work out whatsoever. 
But then you've got the Atlantic Division, another decently tough division, the Leafs, the Lightning, the Panthers, the Canadians coming off a uh, Stanley Cup appearance. They're the third team in NHL history to start off their season 0-4. They're 1-5 now, but they're, they've started off bad. We all knew kind of going into the season. It was kind of a flash-in-the-pan type thing. You catch lightning in a bottle in the playoffs. You ride some hot performances. They're a young team. They're going to be exciting, but right now, Jake Allen's in net. So that's not really ideal, and unsurprisingly, they've allowed 20 goals this season and have only scored 10, but Carey Price is on the IL, or I, at least I believe he is. He hasn't started the season anyways, but Jake Allen's in net. That's always a very scary sight. One of my friends from William Penn, he's a big-time St. Louis Blues fan. And he loathes Jake Allen. He got caught. He got Bennington, and it was like, oh, yeah, hopefully they never ever go back to Jake Allen. And then they let him go that offseason. I think he went. He didn't go to Montreal right away. I think he went to Vancouver. I could be wrong about. I could be completely wrong about that. But I think that's where he went. And then we obviously know, like the the Sabers are at the bottom, and then Ottawa. They've got some good young players on their team. The Red Wings. They're the Red Wings, but they've got some nice young pieces as well. But mainly the main guys you already know, like the Panthers, the Bruins, the Lightning, the Maple Leafs, those four. I know they're the only the Panthers are the best team in the division right now, and the Lightning, Bruins, and Maple Leafs haven't done a lot this year. But they'll be the Maple Leafs will be fine. I know they're two, four, and one right now. They'll correct it. They've got too many good players to not <laughs> be good at the end of the season. They'll figure it out. And Boston always seems to figure it out as well. They're a very gritty team. Don't like them, hate the Bruins, but they're a very gritty team. They'll get it done at the end of the season at some point. For the Central Division, we go to the Western Conference. We got the Blues on top with 10 points. Tarasenko looks back. Looks really good at the start of the season. Scored a few winners for him. The Wild, Kaprizov's back. With the fears, he was going back to the KHL. Signed an extension to the chagrin of everybody in the Central Division, namely Blackhawks fans. And I have a friend, Noah, who we brought, on the show, brought up on the show a few times. He's a huge Wild fan. So watching Kaprizov wear 97 and move like Patrick Kane pisses me off. 97 because of Connor McDavid, obviously. <laughs> That's the reason I don't like it, because I love Connor McDavid. Don't like Cap- I know. Let's just put it like this. If Kaprizov was on another team, I'd love watching Kaprizov. But now he's on the wild. Can't stand him. Just how it works. Just how it works. My first Blackhawks game was against the wild, and Patty Kane scored in like the first 20 seconds, and they chased... Oh, crap. I'm completely forgetting his name. Their old goalie. Not Kemper. Who the hell was it? Dubinick. Devin Dubinick. <laughs> they chased him out of the game. Good. Look, I was blanking really hard right there. Then you got the Stars coming in third at this point. The Winnipeg Jets, who are some people's sleeper team this year. I like the Winnipeg Jets. They're the only team in the Central Division I actually kind of like. <laughs> I don't like the Stars. I hate the Wild. I hate the Blues. I hate the Predators. I like a lot of the players in the Avalanche. The Avalanche... Even though they're 2-3, and three, I mean, come on. They're going to be the best team in the show, right? They're, I mean, they're obviously going to be the best team in the NHL at the end of the season. I mean, you got Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, uh, Bowen Byron, Landis Scott. Like, you've got too many good players in this team to not be the best team in the NHL. No, they'll figure it out at the end of the season. I mean, we're early in the season at this point, but you can write off some teams like the Blackhawks and the Coyotes who are back with the Blackhawks in the Central Division. I hated the Coyotes growing up. but they were the Phoenix Coyotes, Hated them. Hated, hated, hated the Phoenix Coyotes. But now they're Arizona. They kind of just are oblivious to everything. I don't really care. Now, I hate the Red Wings more than anything. If I had to order my my five least favorite teams in hockey, in no real order, Wild Blues, Preds, Red Wings, 
and the Bruins. I think those are my five least favorite teams in hockey. Bruins because I'm a Bills fan and I hate the Patriots and pretty much everything Boston. I don't really hate the Celtics and I really don't hate the Red Sox, but I hate the Bruins and I hate the Patriots. I can get, I don't like the Celtics and I don't like the Red Sox, but I don't hate them. I don't loathe them as much as I do the other two teams I mentioned from Boston. But yeah, the, the Blackhawks, 27 goals this season. Good freaking Lord. Good for what? Second best in the NHL this season? Or second worst, whatever you want to call it. I'll take it, I'll take it as the best. Minus 15 goal difference. Good for second best in the show. Right behind it. We already talked about the Arizona Coyotes. Them and the Diamondbacks. Pretty ass. <laughs> pretty ass. And the Pacific Division. Got some fun teams in here. Edmonton, obviously Connor McDavid. Drass Seidel's there. Fun team. Hopefully they can make the playoffs this year because I really want to see the Oilers do well. They're undefeated to start the season 5-0. McDavid looks in midseason form already, which isn't shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. San Jose Sharks, they're 4-1 to somewhat have surprised everybody. <laughs> At least to me, anyways. Uh, the Calgary Flames, they got a fun team. I always, I've always had a soft spot for the Calgary Flames, mostly because I used to watch, oh, what was their name? The Bench Squad? I, I That might be wrong. If you know what I'm talking about there, Hawk, they used to do YouTube videos. They wore cowboy hats. What were they called? I don't remember what they're called, but if you know what I'm talking about, good for you because they're they're Flames fans. I've always Johnny Gaudreau's an Iowan, so he's not born in Iowa, but he graduated from Davenport. So you know what? We'll claim him. Sorry, Johnny, your judgment of Iowa's Davenport, but you know what? We move. He's an Iowan. The Canucks got a lot of fun players on their team as well, namely Elias Peterson, Quinn Hughes, main guys on their team. Anaheim Ducks, uh, they got some good young players. I'll give them that. Again, some they got some really good young players. They tried to link Jack Eichel to the Ducks, but they were like, ah, oh, the Ducks won't really trade any of their actual really good young pieces because the Sabres, again, priced themselves out of a move because they're run by freaking idiots. They haven't had a GM or a coach of any competence in forever. And the Bagulas, they're, 50, they're really 50-50 in Buffalo right now because they've done a good job with the Bills just because they let Brandon Bean and Todd McDermott run the thing. They can't figure it out with the Sabres. They just can't seem to figure it out, and they have the longest playoff drought, active playoff drought in hockey right now. Maybe American sports. I couldn't tell you. Uh, the LA Kings there as well. Kopitar looks really good again. Looked good last year. Looks to be like his best again. They got some young players as well. The Kraken started off 1-4, and four, and the Knights 1-4 and four as well. But the Knights, much like we talked about the Maple Leafs, the Knights will figure it out, and the Knights will be fine. The Knights are clearly the best team in this division, even though they're 1-4. and four. I refuse to believe... They won't figure it out. I refuse to believe that. If they don't, then that's fine. But even though I don't like the Knights either, <laughs> my one of my other friends from William Penn, Kevin, is a Knights fan. And so, yeah, we can't stand the Knights either. But mainly, I wouldn't put the Knights down on my least favorite five teams. They're probably number six. We're being, we're being on the Knights. Uh, Knights and Bruins are pretty much rivaling that rivalry, ring, 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 that spot. <laughs> they're, they're battling tough. They're battling tough. And I had to choose... Like, outside the Blackhawks, obviously the Sabres are right there with them. I love the Buffalo Sabres, even though they saw... My dad, ironically, this is how <laughs> kind of hopeful Sabres fans are. At this point, anyways, this was two years ago, right when they drafted Rasmus Dahlin, and they started off really good. Because when they did the COVID playoffs, the, the Buffalo Sabres were two points out of the playoffs, and they played three... Or no, three points out of the playoffs, played two less games than the Montreal Canadiens. They missed the playoffs because of that. Rasmus Dahlin was not very happy about that, but there were shirts that were made. Because if you remember, 
There was a few years in a row the Sabres would start off as one of the best teams in hockey, but then uh, reality would set in rather quickly and they go on an insane losing streak and then obviously finish towards the bottom of their respective division and conference. And they, the, they made shirts out in Buffalo, and I possess one of these shirts. My dad possesses one as well. It says, the tank worked. This was from two years ago. As we sit here, the Sabres might be one of the worst teams in NHL history, or we're on pace to be the worst show, worst team in NHL history going into the season, and <laughs> they had shirts printed that said the tank worked. And I wear that shirt proudly because I think it's funny. And I remember growing up with Ryan Miller, you had Danny Briere, uh, Pombinville was there as well. You had some really, really nice players in these teams. They would make the playoffs. Ryan Miller's freaking awesome. This was when he was the number one for the United States before, you know, the LA Kings had that amazing run, won the Stanley Cup, and Jonathan Quick, you know, became Jonathan Quick. They were fun. I have a Danny Breer jersey, actually. One of my favorite players growing up. I love Danny Breer. And, yeah, <laughs> I didn't think we talked this long about hockey, but I, I had to get some point in about Stan Bowman being gone because... This has been something Blackhawks fans have wanted pretty much forever. I don't think there's been a Blackhawks fan that's ever liked Stan Bowman. If there are, I would love to meet them. And the same thing goes, and I think this is, a, I, it might be a little harsher, because I think Stan Bowman's a way huger dickhead, if that's a way you could phrase that. I think he's a way, way, way bigger asshat dickhead, however you want to call him, than Jeremy Culloden. But Culloden just doesn't, he's just not working. The firing of Quinville, I've seen some people say it had to happen. It didn't have to happen. It didn't. This is the greatest coach in Blackhawks history. Won three Stanley Cups in five years, and you fired him. That's not how this show should work. Like when the, when the Cowboys did it with Tom Landry, when Jerry Jones fired him after he bought the team, they at least had a few years of being bad. This was like two years, and the Blackhawks weren't even bad. They were not good by any stretch of the imagination, but Colton just doesn't seem to have it. At least from what the early stages are. I know he's been in here for two years now. And the team's not great. They tried to do some things this offseason. Again, didn't know what the plan was going into the season. You're going to be good? Or are you going to be a mediocre non-playoff team and not get a good draft pick again? Because that seems to be a common theme with the Chicago Blackhawks. Apart from when they randomly got the third overall pick and took Kirby Doc. Now, when that draft happened, neither me nor my friend Johnny that we talked about earlier wanted Kirby Doc. I have to go back and look at the draft. He wanted Alex Turcotte. That's who he wanted really bad was Alex Turcotte, another center. He got drafted by the Kings. I wanted Bowen Byram because <laughs> I wanted to improve the defense because at the time, the Blackhawks' defense was slow and old as dirt. Okay? You had Jonathan... Oh, jeez, I'm combining people now. Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. Blackhawks legends love them forever, but they needed replacements at some point. They went out and got Connor Murphy. They traded... They got him from Arizona... Because they got Dylan Strome with the uh, oh Dylan Smaltz trade, Nick Smaltz trade, but Bowen Byron was the guy I wanted. And in hindsight, that would have been awesome. Because I even tweeted off my old Logan Blackman show account that I wanted Bowen Byron, and I said this better work out. Because there weren't a lot of people that were huge fans of Kirby Dot because they were saying he was a diver. That was his big thing coming out of college, or coming out of college, coming out of coming into the draft. Bigger dude though, Alex Turcotte's a smaller guy. I think that's the main reason why they wanted. Uh, Kirby Doc, bigger guy. He's like a not not a foot taller, but he's six four. I think Turcotte's like five eleven, maybe. Yeah, he's five eleven. But I wanted Byram really bad. That was who I was going for. And now it, uh, uh, yeah, 
I would definitely take Bowen Byram in hindsight. Bowen Byram might be the first overall pick. Not might. He would be the first overall pick in this draft. <laughs> and the Blackhawks had a chance to take him. Now, that being said, I like Kirby Doc a lot. But I would still take Bowen Byram before Kirby Doc. Even though, again, I like Doc. I like Doc a lot. Or a lot. I like him. I think he's a really nice center. Really nice young. He's 20 years old. He's in his third year in the league now. Didn't play a lot last year due to injuries. Got hurt in practice for Team Canada. But, yeah, Bowen Byron would be pretty sick. <laughs> he's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty sick. So you can go back and look at the old Logan Blackman Show account on Twitter. It still exists. I haven't used it. I used it my first year at UNI. I kind of stopped using it. So I created it at William Penn, used it for a little bit at UNI, and then stopped using it because I was like, ah, it's not getting that much fun. I mean, it has like 80 or 90 followers or something on it, but yeah. <laughs> so though the Blackhawks suck major cock right now and Bowman's gone, which is positive, the Bulls are good. Did you guys know this? Yeah, you guys know this game? The Bulls are 4-0 for the first time since 96. That is a long time. I wasn't even born yet. Like, the Bulls are actually good. And they're the only... <laughs> I could be wrong about this. I need the double. They're the only 4-0 team in the NBA right now. The only one. And they got a plus 10 scoring difference, which is beautiful at this point in time. Zach Levine has help, which is something he's never had while in Chicago. He said this is the most fun he's ever had playing basketball. And you can see it on the players' faces. When Zach Levine's having an off night like he did in the first quarter last night against the Raptors, DeMar DeRozan's there. DeMar DeRozan went off. Then you have Lonzo Ball, who's awesome, who I wanted really bad this offseason, which you can go back to listen to Logan Blackman short again. Last year during the draft, when they drafted Patrick Williams, the guy I wanted was Tyrese Halliburton because the Bulls needed a pass-first point guard, a guy that could distribute the ball all over the floor and get these guys, get these shooters shots. Kobe White is like a Jamal Crawford, pretty much. Coming as a point guard, but he's a big point guard that can shoot. He's probably going to be using that Jamal Crawford role. Not going to start a lot of games. So this offseason, after not getting Tyrese last year, they go out and get Lonzo Ball, which I'm perfectly fine with. Because Lonzo Ball is awesome. Again, Lonzo Ball is a great basketball, or not great, he's a really good basketball player. And I hope he finishes his career with the Bulls because I really like Lonzo. I really like DeMar DeRozan. I love Zach Levine. I really like Nikola Vucevic. I like Patrick Williams a lot. I really, really like this team they put together. Alice Caruso is awesome. I understand. I made fun of the meme a little bit over the years, but he works his ass off. Good Lord. Alice Caruso might not score 15 points a game, but dude, He'll get you, he'll, he'll do all the workload for you. Unlimited stamina from Alex Caruso. Can play both guard positions. Friggin' awesome. Troy Brown Jr.'s been fun this year. They've just got a very nice team. Very nice team. I would assume when he's playing, has looked good. He looked good in the first game against the Pistons. Can't wait for Kobe White to get back, though. That will be big. Kobe White coming back and taking a more off-the-bench role, but still playing about 20 minutes a game? Perfectly fine with that. Is That's a perfect role for him. Perfect role for him. He's not a pass-first point guard. When you have this many players that can shoot the ball and want the ball in their hands, you need a pass-first point guard, and they got that with Lonzo. What I thought they were going to get in Tyrese Halliburton, they instead got with Lonzo, and it works out 
beautifully. Now, Tyrese had himself a very nice career to this point with the Kings. Starts for the Kings. Got drafted way later than what I thought. I think 12th overall last year. But, man, he's had himself a nice career. Bulls got Iota Sumo in the second round this year, which was a surprise to me. I'm all for that as well. You could get players that have first-round talent later in the draft. Hell yeah, brother. Let's do it. But the Bulls are fun. I've had a lot of fun watching the Bulls, which is completely different than what I've said over the past few years. The Bulls have been miserable to watch. I have sat down with my friend Spencer, and we have complained about the Bulls forever. <laughs> Ever since Derrick Rose first got hurt, got hurt towards ACL against the Sixers in the playoffs, it's been hard. Now, the Bulls have made the playoffs a few times over there, and the best part of that Bulls team after Rose got hurt was Joe Kim Noah finishing fourth in the MVP voting because he literally did everything for the Chicago Bulls that year. That was beautiful. One defensive player of the year, Joe Kim Noah was awesome. And I think, though they're different positions, I think Alex Caruso is that Joakim Noah of this team. You're not going to like him. He's going to be annoying, but he'll get the job done. He will get the job done. Won't be pretty, but he will get the job done. <laughs> and that's why I think that he's perfect for this Bulls team. And he's wearing the number six, which is the Bulls' last meme player's number, Cristiano Felicio. So it just makes sense that he had to wear six because obviously Jerry Sloan wore four. Numbers are tired, so you can't really wear number four. That's the number Caruso wore in L.A., I'm pretty sure he wore 23 at AM. That one is obviously retired as well. For un- un- we don't need to talk about the reason. Soon 12 will be retired because Kirk Heinrich will get retired. Uh, man, Kirk Heinrich, though. Levine just passed Jordan on the all-time three-point mark in Bulls history. Kirk Heinrich has like 500 more made threes than Zach Levine does at the Bulls at this point in time. He's like a thousand, over 1,000 made threes in his Bulls career. Kirk Heinrich was my favorite player growing up before Derrick Rose and then Steve Nash and all those guys. Kirk Heinrich, Iowa boy, actual Iowa boy <laughs> from Sioux City, Iowa. Went to Kansas, drafted seventh overall. Like, love myself some Kirk Heinrich. And I like that he's getting brought up in that. And we talk about him jokingly being like a legend and stuff. His number will be retired. One of my favorite tweets over this past week <laughs> was Tom Brady breaking the all-time pass, or not all-time, but being the first player that has over 600 passing touchdowns. But the, I, uh, who tweeted this? CBS Sports. To put Tom Brady 602 passing touchdowns in perspective, it's more than double of these legends amounts in their career. Joe Montana, John Elway, Joe Montana, Steve Nash, Steve Nash, Steve Young, Terry Bradshaw, Kurt Warner, Troy Aikman, and then they threw Kyle Orton on there. Why the hell did you throw Kyle Orton on this list? All these guys are Hall of Famers. <laughs> Why is Kyle Orton on there? <laughs> is that some sort of meme thing that that I don't understand CBS Sports doing? Because I'm unaware of this meme, but I am in love with this thing. I went to Kyle Orton, uh, Sage Roosevelt's Kyle Orton football camp in Altoona, Iowa at Southeast Polk. And funny story, true story, Kyle Orton is the guy that taught me how to throw a football like I do now. <laughs> Kyle Orton, I used to do be a pleb, and have three fingers on the laces. And then he said, uh, actually, here, he moved my hand up, and he put two fingers on the laces. And I could throw, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best. Again, we've said this before, I'm not the best. I'm top three, though. I can throw a nice football. I might not be the best quarterback. I'm top three, but I, can, I may not be the best, but I can throw a nice football. I've always been able to throw a nice football, and Kyle Orton is a main, one of the reasons why. And that was a fun camp, very fun camp. I think I went there two years at least one, I know one, because I remember Austin Arnaud, former Iowa State quarterback, we brought, him, we brought him up on Monday, I think. Monday or Friday or Monday, I don't remember. But he was, we were there, 
with all these kids, and this is, oh, wow, how old was I? Sixth, seventh grade? Seventh grade, pro- probably. Because that was my first year of school ball. Also, are not standing there in front of all these kids and just start scratching the shit out of his nuts. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? In front of all the kids? You adjusting them right now? You're not being discreet about it because you know, guys, I mean, you know, if you don't look down at it, no one else can know what you're doing. No one else is aware of what you're doing. You just look straight ahead and not, no, nope. No one can tell you're adjusting or scratching yourself. At least it's, uh, well, now I'm thinking back. Maybe his hands were down his pants. I can't remember. But either way, I remember seeing that and going, why, what? And you know, you guys, some of you may know, but some of you might not know Joachim Love, the former manager of the German national team. There's a few clips of him scratching his nuts and smelling his fingers. I don't know if Austin or Nod has d- did that. So I can just vividly remember watching him scratching. Like, what the hell is that? This is not the time or place to do this. <laughs> I get you're the quarterback of a 3-9 Iowa State football team, but come on, man. <laughs> Stop. It's not necessary. I was a former D1 quarterback myself. You don't see me scratching my nuts in front of a bunch of children. Oh, man, but Kyle Orton getting mentioned on that list. Bill's legend, Kyle Orton, being mentioned with... Elway, Montana, Young, Bradshaw, Warner, and Aikman is awesome. I love that that they tweeted this. I love they tweeted this. <laughs> and we've talked about how I feel about Steve Young. I think he's the most underrated legend in NFL history in regards to just quarterback positions. There might not, there might be some other ones. I think Dick Knight, Train Lane is another one that's a little underappreciated through the masses. Played in the '60s or '50s, early days of the NFL. But he's another very, very underappreciated legend. You know how my feelings are for Lydian Tomlinson, but he's my favorite player, so there's obviously some bias in there. I don't think he gets talked about as much as he should be. I mean, first bout Hall of Famer, sure, but I think in the masses he should get talked about as being one of the greatest running backs of all time more than what he does. I'm glad Kyle Orton's finally getting his respect that he never got while he was playing, but I am really happy about that he's getting his respect finally. And while we're on the topic of quarterbacks and all these great records. Let's look at some... Now, I was going to do this later because I had another thing I was going to talk about, but we'll talk about it afterwards, okay? We'll correct... Well, So, basically, I've got my Week 8 quarterback prospect list, but Mel Kuyper also released his... I don't know if it's like his first one he's done this season, but... NFL Draft 2022 rankings, top 25 prospects, best individual by best by position in Mel Kuyper's big board, including Kenny Pickett and Kayvon Thibodeau. So this is something he released at 5.45 in the freaking morning. Okay, so 7, 6.45, 7 o'clock, we're over on the East Coast. But early, early, nonetheless, early. <laughs> but we're going to look at my list, and then we're going to go back to his list. I was going to do his list first, but his is all players. So I'll let you know how I feel about each position. I'm not going to reveal what my big board is at this point in time. We're working on it right now. But working for it, we're working on it for about a week. We've also got a mock draft almost done. I just need to get the reasoning done. But we should have that for you sometime, I believe, next week. I feel like November would be a good time to do it. Maybe on the 10th. November 10th. Let's shoot for that to have my mock draft. No, that's a Wednesday. We need to do quarterback prospect rankings on Wednesday. Probably the 5th or 12th. We'll have one out for you on the 5th or 12th mock draft. It depends on how well we get going. Because, again, I'm not going to be having a show on Monday. 
because we'll be going to the Minnesota Vikings-Dallas Cowboys game, okay, on Halloween. So there'll be no show Monday. I don't know if I talked about that earlier. No show Monday. But here we go for my Week 8 quarterback prospect rankings. And I think this is a fun one. This is a very fun list. There are a few quarterbacks this week that had buys. The main ones that we're going to talk about that had buys, Sam Howell, Tanner McKee from Stanford, and Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Those are your guys that had buys that I can think of. There's some of the other section that had buys as well, but just in the top 10, those are the guys that had buys this week. But starting off at number one, hasn't changed yet. Still Matt Corral. This was Matt, if you just look at the grand scheme of this season for Matt Corral, this is probably his most boring game. So I just hit my lighting fixture. That was an ideal. My hands were going all over the place. This is probably his most boring game this year. He had 185 passing yards this year, 18 of 23. Didn't pass the ball a lot downfield. Had one touchdown, had a rushing touchdown in there as well. Also put together 24 yards rushing on the day. Ole Miss ran the ball very well. They had two rushers, one over 100 yards, one almost at 100 yards. I think Jerry on Ely had like 97 yards or something like that. But this week, I'm not surprised, first off, that he had a little bit of a somewhat uh, reserved week, if we could call it that. Because this entire week, I don't know if this was 100% true or not, but we talked about this all last week, that there was a chance Matt Corral might not play against LSU on Saturday. There was a strong chance about that. We didn't know if it was just Lane Kiffin trolling or if there was actually some reason behind it. But I, would have been, I wouldn't have been surprised if he didn't play at all. Because you saw what happened against Tennessee at 30 carries for 195 yards. He got beat up. He's been beat up a lot this year. And I would have been fine with going, okay, yeah, sit this one out, rest, you're going to die. <laughs> but he played, and it was reserved. 185 yards, the least amount of passing yards he's had since week five or six from last season, where he played this, this upcoming team that they're playing this week, Auburn. He had 154 yards against Auburn last year. But at that point, comparing that point last year to this point this year, Matt Corral is a thousand times the quarterback he was last year at this point right now. And I think still, even though he had a somewhat low or not amazing day for what we've seen from him this year, still didn't turn the ball over though, which is always key. 15 touchdowns, one interception on the season. I think he's still the number one quarterback in this draft class at this point in time. It'll be fun to see how they do against Auburn. It's at Auburn, which I think is going to be a blast (laughs) because Auburn is a tough place to play, especially at night. Just every SEC stadium is tough to play in within, you know, (laughs) there's obviously some cases. It's not like Vanderbilt, okay? Other than that, most SEC places are a tough place to play. You're going to Auburn. It's a night game. It's going to be tough. Auburn has got a pretty nice defense, 340 yards given up this season on average, which is not terrible. They just beat the piss out of Arkansas last week. They beat LSU, came back and beat LSU. They lost to Penn State. They're 5-2 and two right now. They lost to Georgia, but that was expected because it's Georgia. And Ole Miss is coming off three straight wins, beating Arkansas, Tennessee, and LSU. The Tennessee and Arkansas game's a little bit closer than what I'm assuming Ole Miss would like. But hey, you know what? You got the dubs, it's all the manager. 10th ranked in the nation, Auburn's 18th. Auburn's a three-point favorite. Let's see how they do. Let's see how they do against against Auburn. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a very fun game to watch this weekend, but he's still number one. Uh, number two, Malik Willis. This is the weirdest game. We have two really weird games. And this week is a prime example of what we talked about a little bit on Monday, what we talked about, I think, on Friday as well. I can't remember when we talked about the Sean Watson trade. I think that was Monday about how none of these quarterbacks are going to be in the top 10, like in regards to player rankings. And there might, 
there's a low chance, but there might not be a quarterback taken in the top 10 regardless. This season has been a really weird season for quarterbacks. The two top dudes going into the season, Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler, Rattler's benched, and he's going to transfer to God knows where, but he ain't coming out this year. If he does, he's going to pull some Maurice Claret shit, and that's not going to work. Look how well it worked out for Maurice Claret. Got drafted like the sixth round, did nothing with the Broncos, and then was out of the NFL. And Sam Howell has looked very, very, very off against teams they should probably do a lot better against, namely Georgia Tech, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. Teams North Carolina should not have had any, any problems with this, this year. North Carolina got a, is a good team. They have just played pretty bad at times this year. And Malik Willis and Matt Corral not having great weeks this week. None of these quarterbacks in this top 10, apart from one, I think, had awesome weeks this week. Or weeks you go, wow, that was that was really good. Like, Corral didn't do anything special. Willis didn't do anything special. I mean, 217 yards passing, three touchdowns. Negative eight rushing yards, though, is key. In another game where you're favored by 20-plus points, this is going to be this week, they are playing UMass. This is their third straight game where they're favored by 20-plus points. They didn't cover either one of them. And they almost lost against Middle Tennessee State with Willie Willis throwing three picks. He threw three picks last week, too, or the week before. Last week's last week they played uh, North Texas. He threw three picks. Ah, who did he throw? Because he threw six picks in back-to-back games. I don't remember who it was against. But this week against North Texas, negative eight yards. If he's not running the ball well, Liberty, and they still scored 35 points, but this is not a great North Texas team. You should score 35 points. You should have been able to beat them by a lot more than nine, if we're being honest here, especially when you're favored by 21 and a half. Besides that, this and Corral's performance are just reasons why what we talked about. It's further nails on what we said on Monday about these guys possibly not being top 10 picks or top 10 rankings. Because, you know, things can change in regards to wanting a quarterback like, Daniel Jones wasn't a top 10 player when he got drafted. He got drafted six overall. Like, things can change over time. Like, a few weeks ago, we had Matt Corral and Malik Willis both going top 10. I wouldn't do that now. And that was just basically a speed run thing. That wasn't anything we actually put thought and ran together because I've changed a lot since that one. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's one quarterback in the top 10. And it ain't at number one. So, yeah, I don't think... This season, we're going to have a lot of high draft quarterbacks. This is going to be weird because you look at the recent years in the draft. I'm just going to try and go off the top of my head here. You got Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker. I drafted before Baker, uh, then Miles Garrett, but Trubisky was drafted second. 15? Is it Goff? So like we have this run of quarterbacks get drafted first overall, Winston before that. And now we're not we're gonna go back to the EJ Manuel Geno Smith draft, where EJ got drafted 16th. It was the only quarterback taken in the first round. Geno was drafted in the second round. Like, I don't from what it sounds like, none of these teams really go, wow, these are a good group of quarterbacks right here. We gotta take one with our first pick. You look at teams that are struggling in the quarterback department to a certain extent this season, like teams that could be linked with one. Uh the Giants, they're gonna be talking about. I mean, Fans are going to be talking about. I don't think the Giants will have any conversations this offseason about moving on from Daniel Jones, regardless of what you think of him. I think Gettleman and Co. will put time into Daniel Jones. I mean, look at what they did this offseason. They gave him wide receivers. The O-line stinks, and all the receivers are hurt right now, and Saquon Barkley's now hurt. I think they'll give him time. The Eagles, would they draft a quarterback? Maybe. 
We've talked about Nick Sirianni and co. not really having a ton of faith in Jalen Hurts. But Hurts hasn't played bad this year. He hasn't played great by any stretch, but he hasn't played bad. He's a good fantasy quarterback. But like we talked about, you had them trying to trade up to get Zach Wilson. You had him signing Joe Flacco, trading for Gardner Minshew. Flacco's now with the Jets because Zach Wilson's out for a little bit. And then Reed Sinnott's going there. So that's, I mean, I'd be scared if I was Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts. And then um, what else they do? They didn't announce him to start until like a week before the season when everybody knew he'd be the starter. Washington, I think they're a team that could definitely look at a quarterback because you look at their roster of quarterbacks. I think that's the worst roster of quarterbacks. I mean, Taylor Heineke's fine. Ryan Fitzpatrick's fun. They're both fun quarterbacks. But there's a reason Fitzpatrick's played on like eight teams and Taylor Heineke is getting a chance. He works hard. Teammates love him. But he's not going to be their franchise guy. You watch some of the games this year, it's just a few things that aren't clicking. They're like falling over at the one-yard line when you could have just walked in the end zone against the Packers. There's things that have just been like that. There you go. Yeah, he's probably not going to be the guy. I was on the train of give this guy a chance going into the season. I wanted the uh, the Washington football team to sign Cam Newton or trade for him or something. I don't remember what we were talking about with that, but there was a whole thing that we did where it was like, I want Taylor Honey to at least get a chance. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy, but at least give him a chance to start. I think that's fair to him. You looked at what he did in the playoff game against the Buccaneers. At least give him a chance. That's what they did. Fitzpatrick came in. He's hurt. Heineke goes in. And now we know he's probably not going to be the guy. I mean, stupid people on Twitter will also say the Vikings should be up there as well, but they're not. The Lions, are these quarterbacks better than Jared Goff? And really? I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. The Browns, they've been somewhat talking about it, at least from fan perspective, and Colin Coward unsurprisingly talked about it. Then you look at some teams in the South. The the Texans, maybe. I mean, Davis Mills, you're probably going to get two of. You trade Deshaun Watson. Tyra Taylor's still there. Do they get a quarterback? You look at a team like the Falcons. Matt Ryan's going to have one year left on his deal. Uh, who else is even on here that would even look at a quarterback? Broncos, but they seem like they want to get a more veteran presence in their regard instead of a younger quarterback. So I don't know. I don't know what the teams are going to do for regards to the quarterback position, but the main, the top two guys did not have great weeks this week. And if you're going to be a top two guy, you really need and be a like top five draft pick, you need to have good weeks or great weeks every week. You can't have off weeks, especially against teams like North Texas, Middle Tennessee State, and whoever they played last week. You out Louisiana Monroe, where you're favored by 30 points. You can't have that. And I love Malik Willis. You, you've listened to the show long enough. I love Malik Willis. But these past three weeks have not been great. Let's just put it like that. Number three, I think this is the best performance we had this week, which is saying, I mean, it's still a great performance regardless, but this week was not great for quarterbacks. Carson Strong for Nevada. We told you to watch this game because it was going to be fun. Nevada versus Fresno State. We have banged on the drum that the Mountain West is a good conference this year. They have a lot of very tough teams in the Mountain West this year. I know it's not the flashiest conference in the world, and for years, Boise State ran ragged with that conference, but it's fun conference. Nevada, Fresno State's a good team. Utah State's a good team. Air Force is a very good team. Boise State can be good. San Diego State's a good team. Like, this is a good conference. But it's not the flashiest because, again, it's the Mountain West Conference. It's not going to be anything spectacular. But Carson Strong put together a very nice performance. This game lived up to expectations, 34-32. to Talked about this on Monday. And Carson Strong completed 80% of his passes, threw for almost 500 yards, had four touchdowns, one pick. 
He's still not running the ball very well, which is kind of a concern, but he had the best week. Out of all the quarterbacks on here, and you can do the whole thing of, it's Fresno State, Logan. There were quarterbacks that played worse teams than Fresno State on here that had worse weeks. Malik Willis had a worse week than Carson Strong. He played North Texas. The guy we're going to talk about next played Navy. Okay, we want to talk about teams that had are, are going to bring in the opponent they played. Fresno State's better than most of the teams these teams played this week. There's obviously exceptions, but Fresno State is better than some of the teams these teams played. These quarterbacks played anyways. But Strong had a great game, and I think he's very deserving to move up. The only thing that concerns me is how immobile he has been this year. <laughs> he, I would like to see the rushing numbers get up, but I expect this week again to have an insane week. You're playing UNLV. This should be another massive put touchdown performance. Like You look at the first four games of the season. He had eight touchdowns. The last three, he has 12. And six of them came in one game, against which we expected. We said that when we were previewing the game that he should have like five touchdowns. New Mexico State's defense is suspect to say the least <laughs> this season. So we knew that would happen. We knew that this game was going to be fun. And it was. It was a very fun game. And now he has 20 touchdowns, four picks. And now he's number three on the quarterback prospect ranking list. Number four, a guy that I really like, but didn't have a great week is Desmond Ritter. He's kind of not been asked to do a lot the past three weeks. But this week, against a 1-6 Navy team, I get, and I've banged on the drum for this for years, that triple option schools are incredibly hard to predict. They're incredibly hard to stop because you cannot run the triple option in scout team as good as a team that actually runs a triple option. You can't. You're not going to be having the mesh points down. The reads aren't going to be as crisp. You're not going to be able to do all this, that. A lot of these teams, spread teams, don't have the fast quarterbacks. You're going to have a running back or wide receiver playing quarterback. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's never going to actually prepare you to play the triple option. And I've said that the entire season. I've said it for years. I went to William Penn, a triple option school. But this Navy team is not good, okay? They had a 12-minute drive against Memphis two weeks ago, or a week ago. I can't remember exactly how long ago it was. But they still lost by double digits. This is Cincinnati teams that's beaten everybody they played by double digits. Navy ships points. Like, they just give away points. They don't score that often, and they just allow teams to score. They allow, like, 35 points a game. Cincinnati's averaging, like, 45 points a game. And they, again, they beat every team by double digits. Their closest game they've had this year was 11 points against Notre Dame. That's been it. They have killed everybody. And then they go to Navy, Annapolis, historic, historic venue, military campus, triple option school, tough team to play. I did not think it'd be like this. Cincinnati was 28-point favorites in this game. That did not happen. They won by seven. <laughs> and Desmond Ritter didn't really do a lot in this game against a defense that has not been good, to say the least, this year. Been pretty bad. So I expected a little bit more out of not just Ritter, but Cincinnati in, as, in general. And they didn't do that. They played pretty bad, actually. But Navy played well. Well, should we give credit to Navy as well? They played well. They scored 20 points on Cincinnati. That's, that's an impressive feat. It's a very impressive feat this year. I don't know how many teams have done that against Cincinnati this year. Has any team done that this year? Indiana and UCF are the only two other teams that have done that. And neither Navy beat UCF. So, <laughs> so Cincinnati just goes up against a good team. I know they haven't played. They beat Notre Dame, but they, other than that, they haven't really <laughs> had to play the a murderer's row of teams. Number five is Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett has been awesome. We have talked about this 
well, the past few weeks, how awesome he's been this year. And why he might not be higher is because he got to take into effect that this is a week-by-week -week thing. We had him starting 16th out of 20. Because going into the season, his career high in passing touchdown was 13. And he had done that back-to-back -back years. And the year before those two, he had 12. So it wasn't like anything spectacular he was doing. He looks really good. Like, really, really good. And if you take into account that it's week by week, we can't just yank him up to number one or number two or number three or whatever you want him at. It's got to be a progressive thing. And he's moved up 11 spots. Like, this has been a slow but steady thing, and he is at number five on this list, and rightfully so. He's looked really, really good. He has 23 touchdowns with the most passing touchdowns on this list, and he's done really well in the running game as well. I think it's very easy to say that he could be number one by the end of the season. Very easy. I don't think that this quarterback class has done anything spectacular to this point. The Heisman Trophy, this might be the weakest Heisman Trophy class we've seen in a very, very long time. I think that Kenny Pickett has a real shot of being the first quarterback taken. I think that will come with time. But right now, again, it, this is subject to change. This isn't like it's nailed on forever. We do this week by week. Kenny Pickett could very well be number one by the end of the year. That's how good he's playing right now. You look at some of the teams he's beaten up, that teams that should be beaten up on these teams have struggled with, he's looked really good. And he looked, like the uniforms are beautiful as well. They brought the royal blues with the yellow helmets again. Beautiful stuff. He rocks the double glove look as well, but he's been gradually working his way up the list. And yeah, he could easily be number one eventually. Number six is Sam Howell. I feel bad for doing this because he was on a bye week, but you look at some of the teams. Again, Sam Howell has struggled against certain teams this year a lot, and has not looked the quarterback that we thought he was going to be this year. I think that the thing that saved him at times this year has been how much how mobile he's been. I think that's helped him out a lot this year. He's had a few games this season where he's rushed for over 100 yards and a couple games where he's almost rushed for 100 yards. That's been helping him a lot this year, I believe, in regards to his draft stock, because I see some people having him at number three. And it also could be a fact that like the rest of the quarterback class hasn't been great. I think most people's top fives are generally similar, but there's going to be some oddities in there. I Like, Pro Football Focus has Tanner McKee in their top five. I don't get that at all. Maybe for next year, but for this year, I don't... Not right now. And then uh, we'll get to Mel Kuyper's thing in a little bit, but Sam Howell... Again, I feel bad because he's been, he moved out of the top five, but I can't really sit here and go, he's been better than Kenny Pickett because he hasn't been. He hasn't been. Kenny Pickett has been better than Sam Howell in almost everything this year, apart from rushing. That's been about it. And then number seven, Dorian Thompson-Robinson got hurt in the last drive of the game against Oregon. It didn't affect the entire game. Obviously, his last offensive drive of the game, but he did not play well against Oregon. But the thing is, everybody else behind him <laughs> was on a bye week, so it kind of by default, he has to stay because you can't. I don't really think I can move someone up off a bye week unless someone played really, really bad or got blown out, or UCLA didn't get blown out. They lost by three points to a top 10 team. So I'm not going to move Dorian Thompson Robinson down. He has a hurt hand on his, it's his right hand, which is throwing hand. So we'll see if he plays. They are playing against Utah this week, which is a very tough place to play anyways. Now you're hurt. I'm not really looking forward to this game as far as a DTR standpoint or UCLA standpoint. If he can't play, or play at a high level, I'm scared for UCLA in this game. Because again, this is a Utah team that beat Arizona State handily. Because remember, Arizona State didn't like they didn't feel like they needed to show up in the second half. And that's an Arizona State team that beat UCLA by 19. So I'm kind of nervous going into this game. If he's not healthy, 
or healthy enough to play well in this game. But he didn't have a great game. I mean, 220 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 35 yards rushing touchdown, barely completed 50% of his passes, 22 of 41. But again, it's a top five, top 10 team in the nation. It's going to be tough. They have Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a freaking force in that game. I'm not surprised that he struggled to a certain extent, but I thought he'd play a little bit better than that. The yards are fine. The completion to attempts ratio is not ideal. <laughs> I know it's not, it's not everything. Because that's a statistic metric. It's not actually how accurate he is, if we know if you know what I'm saying here. But either way, didn't play his best game. Number eight, Tanner McKee. He's off a bye. Needed a bye. They had two weeks where they struggled. Got beat up by Arizona State. He got sacked and fumbled on the last drive of the game against Air, uh, Washington State. So he needed a bye. They're playing Washington this week. See how that one goes. But yeah, they're back at home, which is big. They're back at home. That's very important for them. The past two games have been on the road against Arizona State and Washington State. They'll need to bounce back. And Washington's 1-2 in their last three games. So this is a good opponent for Stanford to get back on the right track for things. Number nine, Jane Daniels also coming off a bye. They're playing Washington State this week, a team that Arizona State or Stanford just lost to, and a team that almost, that took BYU pretty far. They lost them by two points, 21 yeah, two point, 21 to 19. But that'll be a tough one. It's at home, so I like Arizona State's chances in that. But I want to see Jaden Daniels throw a touchdown pass. Because if he does, this will be the first time this year he has thrown a touchdown pass in back-to-back games. Which is not indicative to how good he actually is. But if you're just looking at stats, that's not ideal. It's not great. He's thrown six touchdown passes. All six of them have come in three games. He's never thrown it in back-to-back games this season. Three, six touchdowns, three picks this season. But he's rushed the ball well, which is what we expected. We've compared him to Lamar Jackson in the preseason, not necessarily that he's as good as Lamar Jackson, but if you look at the slender frame, how good he runs, and a good, really strong, nice, nice arm talent, not the most consistent arm talent, but good arm talent, that's what he compared to. And I want to see him throw some passy touchdowns as the season progresses. And then number 10, Jake Hayner from Fresno State. He hasn't played like as good as he did at the beginning of the season, Last week, he threw like 89 yards against, uh, uh, who was it against? I don't remember. I can't remember who they played last week. We talked about it because he threw not a lot of yards. They still won, but they didn't, uh, Wyoming, played Wyoming. And this week, he threw for 256 yards, which is a decent amount of yards. Two touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers in general. But if you look at the pre, the beginning of the season stuff, midseason stuff, he was throwing 300, 400 yards a game. That's toned down a little bit. And this week, they're playing San Diego State, who has a good defense, top five defense in total yards given up this year, and yards per game, I should say. This will be a tough one for Fresno State, but they have a good pass team. San Diego State's pass game on defense is their, I guess, weaker point. They're a really good run defensive team. Pass defense, they're more probably in the 30s, if I had to guess, 20s. They're not, they're not, their pass defense is not as good as their run defense, which folds well in Fresno State's hands, but it's on the road. I'm not saying Colquam Stadium or wherever they play is that tough of a stadium to play in for college. It wasn't really in the pros. <laughs> and yeah, if he has a subpar week this week, there's a few quarterbacks in the other category that could definitely pass him, and I wouldn't be surprised by that. Here are some of the other quarterbacks in the other quarter category for this week. We have Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. We had him in a few weeks ago in the other category. Threw four touchdowns, ran for 99 yards and two touchdowns. So he had six total touchdowns, just under 500 yards total offense, 29 to 43 in a W over Virginia Tech. Then you have Malik Cunningham, rushed for three touchdowns, 133 yards on the ground. 
against Boston College. Didn't do great in the air, but the rushing game really saved him in that one. Uh, then we got Hendon Hooker, former Virginia Tech quarterback now for Tennessee. Ever since he's been the starter, their offenses look really, really good. And he had a good game against Alabama, though they lost 52-24, 282 yards passing, three touchdowns, 26 yards rushing, one interception, but still, that's he had a good game against Tennessee. He's probably, if we had to pick one, with how well Tennessee's offense has been, if you look at his touchdown-interception ratio, 17 touchdowns, two picks, he's probably, and 416 yards rushing this season, he's probably number 11 this week. Then we have Will Levis from Kentucky. He was on a bye this week, was played well this year. And then Grace McCall is on there. Lost to Appalachian State, but still 291 yards, one touchdown. Didn't do a lot of ball, do a lot running the ball, but he'll be fine. Grayson McCall is a good quarterback. I just wouldn't put him in the top 10 at this point in time. So just a recap of that. Number one, Matt Corral. They will be taking on uh, number 18, Auburn, on the road. Number two, Malik Willis will be taking on UMass this week. We have Carson Strong at three. We'll be taking on, geez, taking on UNLV. Number four, Desmond Ritter in Cincinnati will be taking on Tulane on the road. They should they should handle Tulane. I would I would hope so anyways. Number five, Kenny Pickett. Pittsburgh are taking on Miami. That should be a pretty fun one. They're coming off a nice win against NC State last week. A one-point win against them. Sam Howell at six. They're taking on Notre Dame on the road. It's going to be a big make-or-break game for Sam Howell. Number seven, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and UCLA are playing Utah. Hopefully he's healthy for that game. Number eight, Tanner McKee from Stanford. They're taking on Washington. Jaden Daniels in Arizona State will be taking on uh, Washington State. Jaden Daniels is at nine. And number 10, Jake Hayner and Fresno State will be taking on San Diego State. So fun one. Fun quarterback prospect rankings this week. What would you change? What would you leave the same? Let me know if you could. That'd be pretty cool if you could. But before we end the show, I wanted to talk about this a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. It's Mel Kuyper's prospect rankings list. He released one. I think this is his first one of the midseason era. Around the midseason. It's at least his first one midseason. I think he might have released one preseason, but I don't really remember. But here we go. We're not going to look at the top 25 at this point in time. We're going to just look at... Well, actually, no. There's one player that I think a lot of you might be surprised about being in the top five, or not top five, top ten. It's Trevor Penning from UNI. We talked about preseason to a certain extent, but number nine. UNI has got some monster off the line. We know this. We've talked about this since Spencer Brown was there. We talked about Will McElvain when he first got the starting job and talked about him compared to the off the lineman. I don't know how the hell he could see over him. But Trevor Penning's another one of those guys. 6'7", 321. Here's what Mel Kuyper says about Penning. Penning destroys edge rushers at the FCS level. He's consistently dominant in both the run and pass game. Very good in the run game. Rugged is the word I'd use to describe his game. And though he's not playing against NFL caliber players every week, I think he has a chance to be an elite guy. He has played mostly at left tackle for the Panthers, who had the third, third rounder, Spencer Brown, on the right side from 2017 to 2019. Penning has flashed more than Brown did. I would say that's fair. I would say Spencer Brown was more imposing, I guess, to a certain extent, than Trevor Penning, but Trevor Penning was also, a re- I mean, obviously, he's a really good off the lineman for you and I. We talked about him in the preseason. The thing that surprises me, though, is not necessarily that he's in the top 25 players of the draft. It's the fact that he's ranked higher than Tyre Linderbaum. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. And here's what he said about Linderbaum. Linderbaum is one of the best centers and prospects in me- recent memory. He can do everything. Excels in polars. Is excellent polar. Excels as a polar to either side. He's a fantastic run blocker. He doesn't have many weaknesses. ESPN stats and information tracks sacks allowed. And it has him down for just one total in the 2019 and 2020 seasons. He has allowed two this season. 
but I'm still a huge, huge fan of his game and upside regardless. So those are two Iowa guys in the top 15. Is there any other Iowa people that are in the top 25? No, there are not. Sadly, there are not. But here are his positional rankings that we got going on here. It's quarterbacks. Surprisingly, Kenny Pickett, number one, but we talked about him moving up. But progression, we have to keep him at number five because he started at 16. We can't just automatically go, boom, number one. It's got to be a week-by-week thing. Number two, Matt Corral. Three, Desmond Ritter. Four, Malik Willis. Five, Sam Howell. Six, Phil Yurkovic. Seven, Carson Strong. Eight, Hendon Hooker. Nine, Tanner McKee. And ten, Jaden Daniels. So I understand a lot of this rankings list. Phil Yurkovic, I definitely still have in the top ten, but this is just like... He's injured. He got hurt the second week of the season, so we haven't had a chance to keep him in the top 10 because he hasn't played. But you look at the other guys on this list, I'm not surprised. Desmond Ritter is three. We have him at four. Carson Strong, I think he has him at seven just because of how immobile he is. I think that's his main problem there. Phil Yurkovic is a lot more mobile than Carson Strong is. Sam Howell at five, fine with. He's at six for me. Pickett at one is not too surprising, to be honest, I've seen most people have Corral or Willis, but hey, Pinkett's had awesome years, so I don't care. I know I, I'm perfectly fine with this list. To be 100 honest with you, is there anybody that I wish could I could see there? Not really. I think the only reason that Hayner's on my list, anyways, is because Yurkovic's hurt. If Yurkovic was playing, he'd be in the top ten easily. Yurkovic is a very, very underrated quarterback. He was coming in off one year last year. He transferred from Notre Dame, had a good year last year. Just need to see more, and then he gets hurt out for the season. But he'd definitely be in the top 10 if he was healthy. I don't know if he'll leave this year. But I, if I was him, well, no, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that he comes back next year. Pretty confident saying that. I mean, he's hurt. I mean, I would. you have a chance to be the number one quarterback in the draft. I would definitely come back next year. <laughs> running backs, this one's all over the place. There, this is not a good running back draft class. Uh, Brees Hall, number one. Then you got Isaiah Spiller. Devontae Price from Florida International. Pierre Strong, Jr. from South Dakota State. Uh, Kyron Williams, Notre Dame, Kenneth Walker III, who's one of the Heisman favorites this year, Brian Robinson, Mohamed Ibrahim, who also got hurt towards Achilles week one against Ohio State, Zach Charbonnet, and then Tyler Goodson at number 10. So we have Iowa guys at number one and number 10. I'm kind of surprised Kenneth Walker's so low on the list. He's at 997 yards, nine touchdowns this year. He's a few games of well over 200 yards rushing this season for the Michigan State Spartans. But this, there's, <laughs> there might not be a running back draft in the second round this year. <laughs> nah, this is not a great running back class. Let's just put it like that. The guys that are supposed to be dominant this year. Brees Hall's looked better as the season's gone on. I'm not saying he's been bad by any stretch of the imagination because he's an amazing running back. But compared to what expectations were, I wouldn't say he's been as dominant as what people were expecting. But as the season, again, has progressed, he's gotten a lot, a lot better. Devontae Price from Florida Atlantic, 6'2", 215. Uh, 586 yards, six touchdowns this week. Very similar size, maybe not weight-wise, but looks a lot like Najee Harris when he's running the football to a certain extent. Uh, then we got fullbacks, H-back. Wait, I mean, we do, do we really need to talk? I don't know anybody. <laughs> I know Madi Potabom, who's at number eight. And I love fullbacks, but I don't know any real fullbacks. I don't know fullback scouting. I'm apologizing for that. Wide receivers. I think I have the same list to a certain extent, but it's a little, it's a little different. Uh, number one, Drake London. Number two, Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams from Alabama. <laughs> he's a deep. He's Alabama's deep threat this year. Jahan Dotson from Penn State at three. Garrett Wilson four. Chris Olave five. Traylon Burke six. David Bell seven. George Pickens eight. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama nine. And then John Mechie and John Ross at number ten. Both of them at joint number ten. 
Now, I really like Traylon Burks. I like Traylon Burks a lot because I think that his physical attributes can't be matched because he's not going to put up insane stats this year. I think that might hurt him in the long run in regards to draft stock stuff. But if you just look at his body and look what he's able to do at that size, it's ridiculous. Drake London is easily having the best season if we're just looking at statistics. He's having an insane year because USC only passes the ball and Keaton Slovis really only trusts Drake London, at least from what it seems like. Jameson Williams, as we talked about, deep threat, insane deep threat for Alabama. Jahan Dotson, great wide receiver. David Bell obviously had the great game against Iowa, but he's a very consistent wideout. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, spreading the ball around pretty much is what Zach Stroud's do or CJ Stroud's doing, which he has to do. You have two of the top wide receivers in one draft. You've got to get the ball around to them. But yeah, I, I, I'm surprised Romeo Dubs isn't in this list from Nevada. I really, really like no, uh, Romeo Dubs. Is there anybody else that I'm really forgetting about? I'm trying to look at the list and see if I have anybody that would possibly crack the top 10. For him, anyways. I do have a list, but I'm not going to read it. But I, <laughs> I do have a list. I'm just going to look at it real quick. Prospect rankings. Because I could save all these things on my Wix account. No. The only one that it's different is I have Romeo Dubs. He had George Pickens. And that's it. And Justin Ross. Different orders, but pretty much the exact same list. Same players, different order. Like, I've already said I really like Traylon Burks, but I understand why Drake London's number one because of the numbers he's putting up this year. I don't know. He He's either leading or is close to leading the nation in receiving yards. I know he's got an – he's like 750 yards or something. No, well, what am I talking about? He's over 1,000. <laughs> I'm still stuck in two weeks ago. He might have just gotten all that last week. Who knows? He had like 170 yards last week. But, man, I'm not surprised by that at all. Olave and Wilson – the statistics, you're going to have to look not look at the statistics because they've both been awesome. It's kind of like the Henry Ruggs situation where his numbers weren't that good comparatively just because you're working with so many good wide receivers. But he'll be up. They'll, they'll, the Ohio State guys will be fine. They'll be fine. Tight ends. Tight ends have been pretty hard to scout this year, to be 100% honest with you. Trey McBride from Colorado State's definitely one of them. I have Trey or Jalen Weidermeyer at number one, but he has him at number two. Perfectly fine. Kate Otten at three. From Washington, Jaleel Billingsley, who's in Nick Saban's doghouse at the beginning of the year, but is a really nice wide receiver, catch, pass-catching tight end. Charlie Kohler, Cole Turner, who's one of my favorite tight ends in college football this year. Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Tegan Quinter- Quinterino, sorry, from Oregon State. Will Mallory, Malor- Mayor- Jeez. <laughs> from Miami. And then Jeremy Ruckert from Iowa State and James Mitchell at number 10. Again, Jalen Weidermeyer is my number one, but Trey McBride's at number two. I'd probably still have Jalen Jaleel Billingsley at three. Cole Turner, I might put a little higher. I might put Cole Turner a little higher. I really like Cole Turner. I really like Romeo Dubs, like we talked about before, from Nevada. Those two are just really, really good football players. Offensive tackles, Evan Neal, un- I mean, unsurprisingly, number one. He's <laughs> he's insane. And then we got Charles Cross from Mississippi State, Trevor Penning. Uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrer from Ohio State, Daniel Fafele, Falele from Minnesota, freaking monster, like seven foot t- six nine, six ten, seven hundred pounds. I, he's not seven hundred pounds; he's four hundred pounds. But six nine, four hundred pounds are along that. Kalen Dice from Arizona State, Jackson Kirkland, a guy I really like. Not the most mobile guy, but good. Uh, Darian Kinnard, Kennard from Kentucky. He's a guard tackle hybrid type thing. Abraham Lucas from Washington State, and Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. 
I would move Kirkland and Darian Kennard up, if I'm being honest. I like those two a lot. Uh, but I understand where he's coming from with the penning Petit Friere from Ohio State up there as well. Charles Cross, very athletic. A lot of pass-blocking snaps for him at Mississippi State, which we talked about at the beginning of the season, with how much he's going to get uh, reps in that system because of how much Mike Leach, likes, Mike Leach likes to pass the ball. I think that's very beneficial for him. You saw that with Andre Dillard coming in the draft. He got his draft stop boosted because of how many snaps he got in the pass-blocking game at Washington State. Now, it hasn't worked out a ton as he's not starting for the Eagles anymore. They even traded up to get him. It hasn't worked out, but Charles Cross is very athletic. Guards, Ike McConwoo, not surprised he's number one. He's a guard-tackle hybrid as well at NC State. Kenyon Green, same thing, guard-tackle hybrid, extremely athletic. Ike McConwoo is a mauler, I guess you could say, very physical. Off to Lyman, Jaylen, Kenyon Green is just athletic as hell. That's the main thing I would say about him. Uh, Sean Ryan from UCLA, Zion Johnson, Jameer Saylor from Georgia, Thayer Munford, who's a tackle guard hybrid again from Ohio State, Logan Bruss, Andrew Voorhees from UCL, USC, Nick Broker from Ole Miss, Ed Ingram, Ja Tyree Carter from Southern, and Dylan Parham from Memphis. Those are three guys tied at number 10. I could totally see where he's coming from with Akonwu at number one, but I would put Kenyon Green there. Centers. Tyler Linderbaum, Jarrett Patterson. I mean, they're the clear cut, I think, one and two in that. Jarrett Patterson's like a guard tackle center hybrid at Notre Dame. He's played everywhere at Notre Dame, kind of like Evan Neal, but Evan Neal hasn't played center at Alabama. Devon West from Arizona State makes sense. Alex Forsythe at Oregon. Grant Gibson, Zach Tom, Alec Lindstrom, I would have thought would have been a little bit higher. Nick Ford, Doug Kramer, and Michael Miati from Missouri now on the defensive side of the ball. Kayvon Thibodeau, unsurprising. I mean, I think the edge rushers, now he, I don't break them up. He breaks them up in the edge, or D-ends and outside linebackers. So this is the D-ends. Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, who we talked about preseason was an athletic freak. Bruce Feldman talked about he's the number two athletic freak in college football right behind Evan Neal, which is just unsurprising. But Tibbs and Hutchinson are two really, really, really good defensive ends. Uh, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. George Kalarftis. From Purdue, who I really like, I'd put him... Uh, I guess he's joint three in that. Logan Hall, Houston, Trayvon Walker, Jeremiah, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, uh, Josh Paschal, Sam Williams, and Zach Harrison from Ohio State, and Allie Gay from Alabama. Allie Gay is like a D-tackle, D-end hybrid kind of thing. Bigger dude. D-tackles, similar like the guy we just talked about, DeMarvin Leely as number one, is a D-end, D-tackle hybrid. He's kind of, it flops back and forth between the two. He's at number one, unsurprisingly, just athletic freak. He can play everywhere on the D-line. So if you list him at DN, D-tackle, wherever, he's going to be either number one or two. Jordan Davis from Georgia, who we were really high on the beginning of the season, at number two. Uh, Iomi, Ioma, jeez, this is an Iowa State guy. I should probably pronounce his name a little bit better. <laughs> Uzuruki, could be completely wrong about that. I apologize for that, is at number three. Phil Darian Mathis from Alabama is at four. Perion Winthree from Oklahoma is at five. Devontae Wyatt, Wyatt from Georgia is at number six. Travis Jones from UConn is at seven. Haskell Garrett at eight. Zachary Carter is at nine. And Thomas Booker and P.J. Mustafer at number ten. Both of them at number ten. Linebackers, we got inside linebackers now. Devin Lloyd from Utah. N'Kobe Dean and Christian Harris are all basically like 1A, 1B, 1C type things. I, you could put either any of those guys at number one. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Jack Campbell at Iowa is number four, the Cedar Falls guy. 
Uh, Damon Clark from LSU is at number five. Channing Tittle from Georgia. Mike Rose is seven. Der- DeMarvian Overshone, who we re- is a freaking just <laughs> unicorn at linebacker. He's like 6'4", 210 or something, is at number eight. Jack Sanborn, Leo Chanel, and Ventrell Miller round up the top ten. Yeah, but the top three, you could just rotate wherever and be perfectly fine with it. Outside linebackers, Kingsley Angerbear. I Again, I've tried to pronounce his name the entire time we've had him. Can't pronounce it, but understandably, he's at number one. Adam Armstrong at two. Makes sense again. Uh, Arnold Epichetti from Penn State at number three. Brandon Smith from Penn State at four. Isaiah Foxy from Notre Dame. Will McDonald. Is he an outside linebacker? Does Iowa State play a 3-4 defense? I guess I've never even noticed that. I thought they played a 4-3. I thought Will McDonald's a D-end. Is he an outside linebacker? Or is that just what they're scouting it as? Whatever. Uh, Boye Maffey from Minnesota at number 7. Nick Benito at number 8 from Oklahoma. Aaron Hansford at AM at 9. Drake Jackson and Darian Beavers at number 10. Drake Jackson I'd move a little bit up, but don't really have a huge issue with that list. Corners. Uh, Derek Stingley at number one, unsurprisingly, even though he's been hurt the past two years. He's just an insane talent at corner. Roger McCreary from Auburn's two. Kyrie Elam's at number three. Ahmad Gardner, Ahmad Sauce Gardner at number four. Josh Job from Alabama at five. Trent McDuffie, six. Andrew Booth, seven, which I'm really surprised about him being that low. I know he doesn't have a pick and only has two picks over his college career, but you got to look at the upside pretty much for Andrew Booth. Kobe Bryant, not that one is at number 8, Riley Moss, number 9, and Cam Taylor-Britt is at number 10. And then safeties, unsurprisingly, Kyle Hamilton's number 1. Daxton Hill from Michigan, 2. Jalen Kaladin from Arkansas, 3, who's been awesome. I know he's hurt. At least I believe he's hurt. <laughs> I should have been scouting that a little bit better. Uh, Jaquan Brisker at number 4. Lewis Sign is number 5. Jordan Ballot, 6. Jalen Petrie is at number 7. Vernon McKee, the 3rd, is at 8. Nick Cross, 9, and Brian Cook is at number 10. I'm pretty sure Nick Kaladin's hurt, right? I thought he would. No, he's not. Or is he? Yes, he is. He got hurt against Ole Miss. Or he got... Yeah, whatever. We... uh, Yes. Yes, I'm fine. (laughs) We're... We are fine. But that is what he looks at for the top 10 players at each position. For the top 10, he's got Tibbs, 1, Kyle Hamilton, 2, Derek Stanley, 3, Drake London, 4, and Evan Neal, 5. We already talked about this. My top five in no particular order is Tibbs, Stingley, Hamilton, Neal, and Hutchison. That's my top five. You can have whatever top five you want, but that's my top five, and DeMarvin Leal's right outside that at six. I wouldn't put a wide receiver in the top five, or top ten. At this point in time, I wouldn't. But that's what It's fine. Number seven, Charles Cross. Eight, Devin Lloyd. Trevor Penning, nine. DeMarvin Leal, ten. Jamison Williams at number 11. Tyler Lindebaum, 12. N'Kobe Dean at 13. Kingsley Angabar at number 14. Kenny Pickett, 15. Uh, Jahan Dotson at 16. Then we have Nicholas Petit Ferrer from Ohio State at 17. Gotta say it fancy. 18, Garrett Wilson. Roger McCree at 19. Matt Carell, 20. Chris Olave, 21. Daniel Fafele, Fafele, Fafele from Minnesota at number 22. Just a monster. Traylon Burks at 23. Kyrie Liam, 24. And Desmond River, 25. So if you look at the wide receivers, there were six wide receivers there. And they're all relatively close together. You can flip those guys around whatever order you want, and you should be perfectly fine, at least in my, my estimations. I just think that Burke's athletic upside makes him the number one guy. I just don't think you can build those kind of guys like that. But I think the numbers will come. Once he gets in an offense, that will throw to him more. Arkansas is primarily a run team, so his numbers aren't going to be the greatest. Kind of like Calvin Johnson at Georgia Tech. I'm not comparing him to him, but we're just talking about situations. Calvin Johnson came with a triple option school at Georgia Tech. 
They didn't have the greatest statistics, but still got drafted second overall. I think that's what Traylon Burks is going to do. And that's not necessarily the career, but suit up draft boards because what he does during workouts and stuff like that, just because of how athletic and huge he is. I think it's a, just a, an insane commod- or a oddity, I guess we should call that. But that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I loved this show. I, I thought this was a fun show. I love roasting the Blackhawks every chance I get. We talked about hockey, which is something I haven't done in a while, and I'm very excited to do that because, you know what? I love talking hockey. I will always like to talk. I, we just don't get to it that often on the Logan Blackman Show because we're mostly a football show. But when we have the chance, if something pops up like Stan Bowman leaving, we're bet your ass we're talking hockey because <laughs> I love talking hockey with people. Just don't get the chance to. But I also like talking baseball. And we got the World Series tonight. I recorded this show specifically before the World Series so I could watch it. It is 6.15 right now. I think the World Series starts at 7.30 tonight. Seven Okay, 7.09, whatever. I forgot World Series starts at weird times. But Braves-Astros. Braves all the way. I know we've talked about I have a soft spot for the Astros because of the fact when the Cubs were terrible when I was growing up, the Astros were in the NL Central, and they were the only team that kept the Cubs out of last place because the Cubs might have won 60 games, the Astros won 50. So that's what I always loved about them. But obviously, we know what's, we know what's going on here. But the, <laughs> not anymore, and I think that's why the Astros are doing so well is because they want to prove everybody wrong, which if they win this without the cheating, it just makes should make people more pissed off. Like, you could have done this without that. Why did you do it in the first place? Like, it doesn't make any sense. You have all these all-stars. You didn't need to cheat, and you still did. And now you're going to go out and win one again without cheating. But I would love to see the Braves win. I mean, we obviously talked about the Jock Peterson thing, the Cubs aspect of things. But they do this without their best player, Ronald Acuna. That would be freaking awesome. 88 games they won this year. They beat a 107-win team or 106-win team, whatever the Dodgers were this year. And go to the World Series with the way they did. Eddie Rosario having a little career resurgence in, down in Atlanta. Jorge Soler's back, which will be big for them for power standpoint. I haven't looked at the lineups yet. But Jorge Soler, unsurprisingly, is leading off the World Series for the Astro, or the Braves. He's done that a lot this year. Been a very nice leadoff hitter in some portions of his career. Not hitting for average a lot, but he's, he's like the Kyle Schwarber guy leading off where he just jacks dingers all the freaking time. But yeah, I'm excited. I always love the World Series. I'm excited. I don't care about really either team involved, but I am cheering for the Braves. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna be butthurt or get upset if the Braves lose, but they got more Cubs players to my knowledge, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them. Yeah, but I'm excited. I know. I think Martin Maldonado played for the Cubs for a tiny bit, but well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, he's, we're not counting. We're not. We're not cheering for him. He did. Yeah, he played for one year. He played four games, but yeah, we're uh, we're not cheering for him. Jock Peterson. Yeah, we're cheering for Jock. Jocktober, baby. So, yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, I can only apologize about that. I sure enjoyed it, though. If you haven't, go make, make sure you go and follow me on all forms of social media. Like the Facebook page. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go and follow me on the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. And go check out the latest blog post on the Logan Blackman Show website. I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, screw Dan Bowman. Kind of screw the Blackhawks as well. And I will see you all hopefully on Friday. Peace.